You're listening to Irish Radio Candidate Home and Abroad, and there's an interesting event about to happen in the locality. 10th of September, Field and Feast. Three chefs, three visions, three nations, nine courses. So I guess you could call that food squared. Or a square meal, maybe. That's a square meal. And it is the brainchild of Eleanor McGrath. And Eleanor is out at Springfield Farm. And Eleanor is here with me. She's going to give me a little bit of the background and tell me about it. And before we get to that, congratulations, Eleanor. I understand you have been certified as uh, organic. We have. Good good afternoon, Austin. And thank you very much. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and your listeners. Uh, firstly... Um, uh, yes, organic certification. It's taken two years, uh, well, almost more three years. We transitioned from being a typical farm that was doing tenant farming and then got excited about how we could actually learn this craft. Um, and every year we learn more. And that sometimes comes because you failed at a prop. So uh, what's certified at, at Springfield Farm in, in Apple Hill is our potatoes, of course on a way as a breed, I guess. Um, and then we also do garlic, several different types of garlic and oats. I, I think most Irish people and I'm Irish heritage, but certainly I think everyone grew up on the porridge and that's the dream that you will be able to have some lovely Springfield farm organic oats sometime soon. Now you mentioned Apple Hill. Where is that? So it's a hamlet, it's, you know, you are, it's one of those typical lovely little rural communities that would have built up over the railroads and all the, the farming many years ago. And now, sadly, it's, you blink and you're gone. It's we're approximately 50 minutes south of uh, Ottawa and we're well positioned, though, from Cornwall, if you were approaching from north of us, uh, you would come up Cornwall, Boundary Road, and we're sort of a turn here, a turn there, and you've gone through some other cute, lovely villages, Martintown being one of them. So, Eleanor, is your background farming? No, I mean, you know what? It would be, I probably am about two generations removed from it. The irony, Austin, about this beautiful part of southeastern Ontario it was settled originally, well, it, we're all on Mohawk territory. I better make that clear and um, and make sure that people know we totally recognize um, that we're, the land, our land of our farm and our region are part of Mohawk territory and right. the Mohawks of Aquasasne. When 1795, I think we're talking the clearings of Scotland and possibly some loyalists. Obviously, many people know of the loyalist history and the movement from the U.S. upwards. Um, my youngest sister, Kate, did some research a few years ago. And the crazy thing is, 20 minutes away from our farm in another little village called Lagan, obviously a Scottish uh, name, and there are our ancestors, the MacLeods, buried in the St. Columba Church. So we've come full circle. Uh, my granny grew up, my granny Marguerite MacLeod grew up in Port Huron, Michigan area on a farm. And all I remember her telling me was how much she didn't like milk because milk for her was warm uh, coming from a cow. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like, no, but I'm I'm 100 percent Toronto, 100 percent city. But I've always had a passion for farms and, and barns, etc. So being 100 percent city, being 100 percent Toronto, you took a leap in was it, 2014 and um, 
establish green acres. Um, sorry. Okay. I'm, 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 yeah. Ha ha. <laughs> Uh, that that's that that came from nowhere. That's just memory now. Um, but so you come out of the city um, <laughs> and you start from scratch, literally. Um, not only is it a, a career change, but it's a lifestyle change in every possible way, uh, from the hubbub of the city to where you don't have light pollution at night or anything like that. Yeah, must yeah. been a huge transition. It is like I, I'll be. Let's put it out as they always say. I, I better make sure everyone knows. I'll declare this that we're still doing that commute. Um, as the children, we have four. Um, as the kids are getting older, and we just our daughter, our oldest daughter, just was married last year in a COVID wedding party this year. Our youngest is 17, Anya, and she'll be heading off to university. So, so really, realistically, we, we're splitting our time in the summer, of course, with the harvesting, with the planting. We are really probably two thirds of the time here at the farm in Apple Hill. We, we possibly, who knows how it's going to work out, Austin, as you know, with children and family, but the dream certainly was to expose them, as you mentioned, to um, a, a place that has no light pollution. Uh, we have a, an opportunity as a family to really steward, um, for lack of any better explanation, this land. It has been taken from conventional farming. And you know what? Listen, farming is so important. I, I think we've got to acknowledge that there is conventional, there's organic like us. We've taken that decision to be organic. That said, when you're on our property, you hear a lot of noises, all types of insects. Finbar, my husband, Finbar McCarthy, is a beekeeper. Here's a man from Cork who grew up like myself in a city, and he loves bees. So he's passionate about that. And then we're really passionate about putting back um, the trees, uh, windbreaks, and it's been a great learning curve. And, and that's the beauty of being in a farm community like ours. There is room for all types of farming. But, yeah, we're, we're really finding that this might, I don't want to commit to something, but you never know. It just might be where we end up as the retirement. Have to, have to tell you, though, uh, you and I go back <laughs> some years to when I was doing active fundraising with the Ireland Fund. And this, I mean, those were loads of fun, lots of great parties, super people, super communities in Ottawa and Toronto and Edmonton, et cetera. But I have to tell you, if you ask me, what's my favorite job? Definitely this one. It it, it keeps your mind going. And physically, it's a great challenge. You know, I, I get a good workout, that's for sure. Now, um, for the period that you can harvest or that, the, the, that there's no frost and snow, you're looking at what? Probably in at best a seven-month window. These days, it's so interesting. Like even someone, a newbie to farming like myself. So in 2017, I'll just use that date. We, you were correct. We bought, took possession January of 2014. But we had a tenant farmer up until 2017. And all of a sudden... It we fell on our shoulders, mostly mine, to start doing the planting and, and different squashes and things like that. In that short period of time, since 2017, we have witnessed, like most people and Canadians, a climate change impact. So when you say a seven-month window... In, in organic farming, you can, you don't usually plant so early. You don't want to have the big equipment to make it over these fields, you know, in April, like a lot of the big crop farmers do. 
But even still, I know there's times where I'm grateful I don't plant until June because I could have lost a crop to either drought or huge torrential downpours. And that goes then to a shortening of the season. So it makes it difficult, for example, corn, love to grow corn. Um, I'm hoping my corn gets enough days to mature, but right now it, it only one of them, to be honest, in this small little section I'm growing has its like little feathery whiskers at the top. Um, but that, that's why the uh, potatoes, I have to say, there's nothing more gratifying than pulling up the potatoes. It's, I'm sure you and your listeners know that feeling. We can do things like basil. Um, tomatoes, fabulous. But if you don't mind, Austin, I'll give you another little antidote about what I've learned in this region. It's sort of like bringing sand to the Arabs. So people will, friends here in Toronto will say, Oh, are you selling at the farmer's markets? And it's like, yeah, I've tried that. And what happens? You end up spending more time comparing notes with other farmers. <laughs> They'll come and tell you they're growing the tomatoes and what blight and etc. So I've learned now. The reason we've moved to maybe three very large crops is for the reason, as much as I love the challenge of the beautiful tomatoes and jalapeno peppers, everyone's growing them and might as well grow something that's keep it simple. So, for example, garlic, I will be planting that in October, late October, November, early, and then it's harvested July, you know, so all these things have over time i've learned <laughs> might might be getting better with age okay so yeah how many acres have you got out there by the way well it's 120 uh which is quite overwhelming when you come from a hundred feet here in toronto by 27 and a half it's yeah. wow but uh arable land it's maybe 60 of that let's say i'm actively farming 10 um, we have a relationship, thank God, with an um, organization called ALUS, A-L-U-S, that's Alternative Land Use, and that is funded mostly by the Weston Family Foundation to encourage farmers to not cut their crop, the hay and create meadows. Um, many people in Ireland and I think in, in the UK are very aware of the, the huge need to protect meadows that these have gone, been mm-hmm. decimated. So now Alice is really encouraging. So if you can believe it, they pay you an acre, a fee to not do this. And that was an aha moment for us because it took the pressure off. We knew we wanted to work with nature this way, um, but it's fantastic to have a partner that supports that decision. And then out in the country, you learn the terms, and one of the terms is the bush. Um, so while you and I might look at it as a forest, we have been able to put 65 acres into what's called managed forest. That's a program through the provincial government. I report for the next 10, I believe 10, 10 to 15 years on the activity. You do not obviously clear cut your forest, which is a big no-no on our property. And then with the bush out of that, there's six acres that are maple syrup uh, or maple trees. Mm-hmm. We hope one day to have a very cute sugar cap and out in the bush and and do that. But right now uh, we get by with almost tapping three beautiful, huge old maple trees. And boy, having never made syrup until 2014, it's something you look forward to every uh, like February. It's like can't wait for maple syrup season to start. Yeah, one of the reasons I asked the question about the size of the holding that you have is uh, from an economic perspective, is it sustainable economically for a family to 
derive a reasonable livelihood out of a holding your size? That is, uh, that's like the million dollar question, no pun intended. The, when we bought the cost of an acre of land, let's just say average five to eight thousand, um, nowadays acreage can go, like arable good land can go upwards ten to twenty thousand in our region. I'm sure in Ottawa it's actually outlying, it's far more. Development is, is a huge push to release land from ag into, you know, residential or commercial. Out in um, southwestern Ontario, friends have told me, and I just about my jaw fell, <laughs> dropped to the ground, $100,000 an acre. So so I think the difficulty is just what you're asking. Can you eke out an existence? Um, go big or go home. All these things, when a piece of equipment can cost over a million dollars, you know, and I'm talking a huge combiner or mm-hmm. speeder. I I don't know, to be honest, how people are doing it. I, I really think we've got to recognize as consumers, cheap food has to go. We have to start um, paying what really is the price of food production. Like, let's go back to my comment about making maple syrup. I always laugh with friends. We give it to them. But if I was really to say put a value between, yeah, fine, I'll save the mason jars like a good farmer and, you know, recycle. But the hours of boiling it down to nothing and then, you know, sifting it through and making sure it's, you know, all clean, et cetera. I mean, that bottle of syrup that we're buying at Loblaws is, you know, $8, $9 should really be almost 30 for the time that I've taken to, to make it. Um, especially in a small quantity. So how how for small holdings, and if our is considered a small holding, you really have to start to wonder, is there enough incentive to encourage young people or new farmers to buy into this? And I hope to God something changes. Pandemic seemed to have given an interest to the buy local, but why not just buy provincial? Why not buy Canadian? I hate to say I'm nationalistic on this, but... You know, if I travel back to Apple from Apple Hill with a load of garlic and sell it here in Toronto, that's four and a half hours. So I'm not the hundred kilometer thing, but I'm really local and Mm -hmm. I really need people to buy it. So Mm -hmm. you want to avoid the situation we've come into in ag and that's this off farm income. And you hear that term thrown around. So how many of our farming friends have to take on other jobs? to make ends meet, to pay for the up, you know, tick in the prices of fertilizers. And, and that's or, like our friends are organic. So, you know, that everything costs that much more because they can't, for example, call a vet in and do um, medication that any other conventional farmer could do mm-hmm. for dairy. Like, mm-hmm. Anyways, Austin, we could get into, <laughs> and I know only so little. I just know, I feel like we we are we as consumers have to start really understanding not just like oh talk to a farmer a little that's where agritourism I I am a huge proponent of agritourism we need to start visiting farms that allow us to go on you can't just walk on a farm as you know biosecurity insurance but for farmers that are willing to say please you're welcome to visit of which we are one as long as you're giving them time to you know say come and visit really ask those questions that you're asking. I think I think we have to understand what has gone in from the time that seed was purchased, which is not inexpensive at all, to the time it comes into the farm and is planted. 
what is the process? And that's where the consumer is missing out. You know, we're, we go to Walmart and buy stuff that we just have no clue what what went into it. Not wanting to be the devil's advocate, but being yes. the devil, but being the devil's advocate. Okay. The reality, I think, that you and I know, is that um, people, population, is like a pyramid. Mm. Those at the bottom of the pyramid are struggling to put the most basic food on the table. Yeah. And as you get up the pyramid, it's a smaller group of people that have more and more wealth. Yeah. So okay. when you get up the pyramid to a certain point, you get to a point where now you have people who can actually afford more expensive food. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's a smaller group. And um, when you say that, you know, we need to be willing to pay more for our food, I would agree with you. But thank God I'm blessed that I don't yeah. have a financial issue. That in, Well, see, and that's where I, I'm not saying suggesting that the government puts a whole bunch of new uh, grants out there for farmers. And but I just feel like we're not really in touch with the, the farm producer as consumers. And I agree with you um, there. But I think for the amount of food that is wasted, whether it's on a farm or, you know, because, for example, last year, I, we ended up making a significant donation of food down to a food bank, which is great. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to do that. But that was a lot of work. I was really looking forward to earning some income for that mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. And and yet, you know, whether it's farmers, farmers markets are not as accessible. That's maybe start there. Like, we don't realize that there's a problem right now with abattoirs. We do not have enough abattoirs in Ontario. I think that if I if I would say two, I might even be right. Um, I know that in our region, people have to go across the border to Quebec, which shouldn't be happening, I, mm-hmm. I think, from many levels. So so that's where those costs creep up. And it also then makes it hard for that farming family to stay farming. And the temptation, and I hear it all the time, is we're going to quit this. We can't afford it. They can make more money selling their property and buying something nice, you know? More than 50% of the world now live in cities. As a result, they go to the supermarket. Yeah. And they don't have the financial resources, many of them. And another statistic that blew me away, and it was I was in the Museum of Science Technology reason, 2011 census in Canada, over 60% of the population were living on their own, were not wow. living. Mm. So now here you have single home, single individual homes. We're not talking single family. We're talking, we're talking individuals. And the cost, we all know, the cost of an individual living on their own is more than if there's a group of people mm-hmm. living together with two or three incomes. So the income that people are bringing in means that the choices that they are making when it comes to purchasing, they are not going for what might be the best quality uh, at the higher price. They're going for what they can afford. And that when I talk in terms of the um, pyramid, more people are at that level where it's what is on special this week? And yeah. uh, as I say, you know, the, the higher quality, I know my daughter, um, when I heard what, what she was spending on food, I was horrified because she goes to the organic store. She buys mm-hmm. all, all organic food is what she brings into the house. Um, but not everybody can do that. So the when I come back to it being sustainable, what I mean as well is there's one side of it is what you and Finbar are doing is that your production levels are probably lower than those that somebody who is using 
um, chemical fertilizers, somebody that's do, using um, genetically modified seeds or something like that. Mm -hmm. So the return that you're going to get on your investment of its nature is probably going to be lower than an intensive farmer. Very true. I mean, so let's, I mean, if I look at my neighbors, many of them are into soya and corn. Those are the two crops that you see most often. I kind of call them the manicured lawns. If you, uh, most people don't realize if you look at them, they're all one level because mm -hmm. of GMO, it, it makes it grow that way. But if I look at then my friends who are, are big dairy organic. So if you're buying like the meadow organic brand meadow um, milk, our friends milk would be going into that. And they see, I think they're, they're doing fine on one hand, but they're also trying to diversify um, because they know they need to diversify their, their economic situation. And I think it's almost interesting when you, you talk about the sustainability and the consumer having to struggle. And I'm, I'm actually starting to see how struggling the family farm is. Mm -hmm. And we're talking the small holding and I, even small, let's say under 500 acres, call that small holding, call it the traditional Irish, um, sort of mixed farming situation where you had the few cattle and the few chickens and stuff. I really think if we're not careful, both consumers and the farming community, that's going to be lost mm -hmm. because the only people that only, I guess, people that can afford to farm will become the large corporations. And there are a lot of REITs, uh, well, real estate investment, but, um, but they're ag. And I think I, I, I'm not obviously the right person to answer your, mm -hmm. where you're going with this consumer issue. And I, I, I think there's just so many layers. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if you said, well, why are you doing it? And I'd say, you know what? Trust me, Austin. I've got, I've got bruised hands. I've got very sore hands. I've got long hours of trying to get my garlic, like taken care of. It's cured. And now I've got to make it look pretty. And, um, you do start to question why the heck you went and did this. But then you see the bees and then you hear those lovely insects and birds and you kind of go, okay, we thankfully can do this as a family. We've made this decision. My fear, to be honest, Austin, is that our kids, God forbid, I mean, one day we will be gone and that they would say, let's just sell it highest bidder when really I use, uh, let's go back to the word steward and let's go back to this little piece of land is a nice buffer zone between all the conventional farming so but you can't eat that you, it's like mm. you can't eat the scenery in ireland sometimes That's right. That's right. <laughs> so with your question or your query um i think some really good minds have to start investigating this whether they're at the guelph ag or they're in hospitality or they're culinary chefs we've we got to get this solved. And one person, I actually, I mean, there's many people like the Culinary Tourism Alliance is doing great work, but there's a woman who is a dynamo, Jennifer Ford, and she is running three or four inner, I don't want to use the term inner city. Let's just call them 
real city Toronto GTA farmers markets and they're reaching communities that are just what you're talking about. Normally they would be heading off to the no frills or the Walmarts. Um, they're looking after their money. They've got to spend it wisely, might be sending it back home to where the countries they've come from. They need though the same access that you and I could get by heading off to the Ottawa market or wherever we want to go. And that to me is really out of the box thinking. And I'm excited because once I get through our big event that you referenced at the beginning on September 10th, I am off to the Scarborough Farmers Market and I am excited. And I'm not like, I. it's not that I want to undersell the work that I've done, but I am like, make me a deal. I will be happy to offload that garlic. You you take it off my hands. And, and as a consumer, I just want to know that you've enjoyed it. And it's not, God forbid, going to waste. That's mm-hmm. the worry. So this topic, you, as you and I know, you could have a conference on it. You oh could my bring gosh. In, you could yeah. bring in speakers, and there'd be so you there'd be so much content. You could effectively run a conference for a week on it. And um, and equally for conventional and like what we would might call traditional farmers, this this is a problem across the board. And what also is making that problem is the climate change, mm-hmm. because while it's impacting us in our planting schedule. It's impacting, as you know, in the war in Ukraine, everyone's talking about these things. We have to get smart. And and if they force, say, the electric vehicles on farmers, and I say force because um, if they've already invested a million dollars or the, they've gone to the bank, they've taken the loans, I mean, that's a lot of pressure on a family. And now you're being told, sorry, you won't be able to use that diesel. You have to go electric. Um, who's taking back that diesel million dollar piece of equipment? And I feel like, I I don't know, maybe I haven't read the right articles. I'm not hearing anything about how they're going to help farmers and Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. consumers, I don't think are aware of that nuance. Mm Let's switch gears. Okay, um, sure. Let's, go, let's, let, let's have a <laughs> like square. A, like a let's, tractor. Let's, uh, let's switch the gears. Yeah, let's have a square meal. Okay. Three by three by three. No, that's a yes. cubic. That's a cubic meal. <laughs> I know you're not. Ta- I'm. I'm not. A, I'm an arts person. I. I just thought three, 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 or you know, was kind of cute. Um, and this is far but cute. Um, and we. And it's interesting because I think initially people might hear it as okay we've got chef dr jp mcmahon from ireland from galway wow michelin star we're 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 honored we're sponsored by tourism ireland irish government and board via wow and then you had our dynamo chef joseph shawana from last year who um kicked off this field and feast harvest celebration with a bang and thankfully is coming back now he's a dawa from the Wicomicon unceded territory in Manitoulin Island. So we now have two nations. So then I think, I, I kind of thought about this. I think people thought Canada was the third nation. No. The next nation is our chef, Chris Commandant, who actually for Ottawa folks will know him. He's now the sous chef at One Elgin at the National Arts Centre. Um, he's a huge force, a talent, and an educator as well in Indigenous um, culinary for for many years at Algonquin College. That now is he's fully at the uh, One Elgin, but he's Mohawk. Now he's not Aquasasne Mohawk. He's from Bala, which many people, if they head north of Ontario, like north northern Ontario, they probably have gone through um, his territory. So those were the three nations. I just love the fact that it lined itself so nicely to this three 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 and their visions 
while similar, because they both, they all three of them are going back to, I guess you, you could equally say pre-colonization food. And Chef JP has an incredible book out, The Irish Cookbook. Um, and I have a, a copy. <laughs> I, I try to, you know, dip in there every once in a while and cook something lovely from his, his research. But what I really appreciated was it's a culinary history and it talks about Yes, the potato is huge, and that's why my ancestors, the McGraws, ended up here um, with the famine. But he's going beyond that. He's going way back, let's say 10,000 years. And that that is where I think this alignment possibly is what got Irish Ambassador Eamon McKee excited. And that's why he said back in November of last year to Finbar and myself, leave this with me. We just told him we were looking for a chef residence type feel, Ballymaloo, you know, something exciting like that. And boy, did he deliver. And I think that's because one of his focuses has been on the nation to nation. And we're talking Ireland to First Peoples. And I have to applaud him uh, as well, of course, his partners at this, uh, Tourism Ireland and um, Board Bia, but really to take our Irish, you know, government approach that their first peoples here in Canada have so much in common and there's such a shared legacy of, of language, sport. I mean, you probably talked about the lacrosse, um, you know, the, that was an exciting moment where an Irish team could see the, the merit of saying, you know what, we'll step aside and we'll let the, this, you know, team from, from Akwesasne come forward. I, I just, or Six Nations, sorry. I, I just feel like these partnerships will be so fruitful. They will benefit not just the, the countries and the nations, but they will benefit language and cultures for a long time and that to me is stewardship as well so there you go that's so, that's Elner, so Elner you bring the three chefs together yes and now do you want to tell us what people are going to get oh my goodness <laughs> it's okay awesome it is on my web or our website I should say it but I think I was blown away I think I was kind of expecting a bit of you know like oh some meat and potatoes type thing so and how and my huge worry when you're dealing with three renowned chefs, how do you get them to work together? This was pod de problem. The gentleman, I threw it out there. I said, could you please tell me? And and thankfully, um, it was actually Chef JP in Galway when Finbar and I met him in March. He said, you know what? Three of us, let's do three courses and it'll be nine. And I thought, brilliant. OK. And everyone agreed. So there is lobster. There is oysters. There's venison. Um, at the moment, it says grouse, but unfortunately, we can't get the grouse cut that Chef Chris was hoping for, so we've moved to quail. There is wild rice pudding. Um, I'm going by memory here. There was sheep's yogurt, and it was a dessert. And I mean, I I think that just sounds so intriguing. And I, I just feel like what people, they're not just going to experience that. They're going to listen and they're going to hear directly from these chefs why they chose these meals, why they're cooking in this manner. And it's, I mean, we're, we're not a restaurant. We are not one Elgin National Arts Center. So all of this is outdoor on huge fire pits that were built last year for Chef Joseph. Um, we're so delighted they're going to be used again. And that's exciting too, is to watch the chefs. So you're not like, it's not behind some closed kitchen commercial kitchen, you are going to be watching the chefs cook the meal. And 
how many people are you able to accommodate? And I understand you are, um, you have a full. Oh yeah. You're you're, <laughs> you're sold out. I am so sold out. I'm so sorry. This is and last year it was 90 because COVID, and I was like, phew, first time out. That's great. Uh, and then Austin, I made this statement. It's going to only be a hundred. Well, I actually had to write to the chefs today, Friday, and say, gentlemen, it's one thirty-five. I'm so sorry. I hope I haven't messed up their their orders. I don't think I have. I'm hoping that they because Finbar and I both grew up in big families. One, our mothers would have said, ah, oh, what's one more at the table? You know, you're already cooking a bit. My family was nine. What's one more person? So I have a bad habit of saying, sure, come on. <laughs> and, but you know what? 135 is it. I can't accommodate. And, um, but wish we could. Uh, it, you could say, well, wait a second. You just told us you have all these fields. But it comes down to plates and service. So when you're in the country, we actually have to buy, purchase all these things. Dollar stores are great. Um, but you can't say, oh, I'm going to rent from Chairman Mills, et cetera. So, those are the little things that you have to take into consideration. Um, but I also want to mention, Austin, this is new and it just went up on our website. I'm so delighted and excited for our guests. Bushmills Irish Whiskey has come on side. They are sending us their national whiskey brand manager. I think I've got his business title right, Brennan Stevenson. So he is. He's actually working right now on three creations to accompany the dinner meal. So cocktails with Bushmills. And I just think people, that was a wow for us. And, and most of the guests purchased ter- tickets long ago. So they don't even know this exciting little turn on, on the menu. Fantastic. Now, uh, so that's that. So before we wrap up, I do want to, you to tell me a little bit more about uh, some of the other activities. Could you have this golf down there? And I came across that last year for the first time uh, down in Florida, and I didn't know what it was. Um, But you guys have a disc golf course. Yes, we can thank our son-in-law, David Hopton, for that. (laughs) And my other three kids, Madeline's married to him, but the other three are like, yeah, sure, you created a disc golf course for the son-in-law. But it took him a lot of convincing of Finbar, especially because Austin, just like yourself, had never heard of it. You know, I have been on Toronto Island. There is what they we would have called a frisbee course there. Yeah. But disc golf is serious, serious. And it was only, I think at the beginning of last year, like January, or maybe it was even earlier, there is a famous video. I, I encourage people to go online of um disc golfer making that money shot that sweet hole in one or something like that and all of a sudden everything went wild tsn picked up disc golf as a sport it is now the fastest growing sport in the world and that is like let's say if if the disc golf pro association had a hundred thousand you know as members in 2019 it has almost tripled it by now so all of a sudden it became all right this is something, this is not just some nice little sport. Um, what I love is that a five-year-old to a seven-year-old to a 90-year-old, as long as you're fit, you don't mind walking on the bumpy ground, you are welcome to register with us, come and play a game of round of golf. It's not a commitment of four hours, it's like two. And it plays the same way as, as golf. So the rules are very easy. If you've played a round of golf, you, you essentially can fall right into this. 
If you ask me, do I play? No. <laughs> no, what puzzle? What puzzle I, we I, have I do all the lawn. I'm the groundskeeper. I, right. I keep the lawns all manicured because I love being in the tractor. That's the one thing this city girl will tell you. I okay. love my Kubota. No, the one thing I, I was conscious of when I saw it being played was I saw these guys going around. I took it, first of all. It was just a Frisbee. But then I saw them going around with a bag oh, yeah. and, and with different color discs in it. And I talked to somebody about it and said, yeah, it's a bit like golf. You know, you have like your golf clubs. You have a particular club for a particular distance and you have your driver. Well, it's the exact same. You use a certain disc to get a certain distance and all the rest of it. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. I haven't played it, it yet. Well, come. OK, Austin, when you're back from Ireland, please come and play around. <laughs> um, and, and more importantly about the disc is funny because they will go forever searching for those discs they're not cheap i mean it's not as expensive of course as a golf club or anything like that but there's a different etiquette and the other thing i really find with the disc golfers they are i want to say chill they're lovely people you know it's just it's a lovely sport it's really starting there's a great group in ottawa um, and we're just hoping in the Cornwall and SDG Aquasasne region, we can hopefully help start kickstart this sport here. And I see the other event you have is you have a migratory bird breakfast, walk and learn. When do you yeah. hold that? Well, well, we had hoped to do it this spring and between the jigs and the reels, it just didn't work out. But um, we're looking to do it in the fall. Although our son, who is ours, he's not giving the talk. He would say, don't even bring me in on this. Um, he's 24. But he he definitely is our bird person in the family. And he he really thinks May is always the better time. Right. But we're tempted to do something in October. We we do get incredible bird sightings on. And, and that's another reason why we made this conscious decision about our farm. Uh, bobolinks, uh, eastern meadowlarks are all endangered. Uh, obviously we all have heard about the monarch butterfly being endangered and barn swallows. Uh, barn swallows, partly because barn structures are going, uh, they're finding it harder and harder to find other new habitats. And we, we have a, a lo one lovely old barn that was restored and I was Finbar and I were both worried we'd lose the families that were because they mate for life they come back to the same place we the pair had three that we see but just recently if you go on our Instagram for Springfield Farm Organics I posted up some videos and Austin I'm not kidding it's almost like watching a whole on mass starling experience but they're they're barn swallows and they are en masse eating and feeding. So so it's so important, again, when you have diverse insects, species, that's why when you have monocrops, I hate to say it, we, it's just one more thing that's impacting our, our birds and, and obviously causing these extinctions. Well, Elder, we will wrap up and we will give the coordinates. The website okay. is springfieldfarmorganics.ca. That's Springfield Farm organics.ca you can't get tickets for the event that's coming up on uh, September you're too late, tough <laughs> but you can go and play golf disc golf and uh, you can keep an eye to see if there is going to be a migratory bird breakfast walk and learn later in the year Eleanor, it's been a real pleasure connecting and chatting again Yes, Austin, I, it was. it's always lovely to visit with you and 
I want to thank you one more, and most importantly, because you are doing something so important for the community. I know you know that in many ways, but, but without radio, without a focus on the Irish Canadian uh, community, I, obviously our event wouldn't get heard, you know? So thank you for the opportunity to reach out and, uh, and talk to more listeners about what we're doing. Look forward to seeing you at our farm. You have to play disc golf now. Thanks, Anna. All right. Take care.